0: Hello, and welcome to the Kiskea Chapel Sermon Podcast. Kiskea Chapel is an international church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where we equip English-speaking believers to expand God's kingdom in our community and beyond. For more information about Kiskea Chapel, you can visit us on our website at kiskeiachapel.org. We hope you enjoy this message. The
1: performance Inn on was this massive apartment complex. I think it had 250 units in it. 250 houses in it. And so we thought, okay, if we're gonna get this job, we have to go, re- we're not gonna make any money. We have to go really, really cheap. So we did, and they took the bid. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Todd, my friend, and I, we looked at each other and we went, uh oh, we gotta hire like 50 new painters. We, we don't know 50 new painters. <laughs> so we hired a bunch of our college friends and said, why don't you come this summer and help us paint these buildings? And of course, they needed money, so they said, sure, we'll come do that. One of my friends was named Gary Logan. I had gone to university with him, and he was called uh, a crosshatch artist. I don't know if you've ever seen crosshatch it's a style of art where you use hundreds and hundreds of little lines to create shading. Uh, that's an example of a crosshatch by the great artist Rembrandt. Before he would paint, he would crosshatch the picture so he could get the shadows and shading correct. And my friend Gary was an excellent crosshatch artist. He would often take a photograph and he would draw it where it it looked almost photographic it was such high detail and shading but he would do it with a giant magnifying glass because he'd just make thousands of little tiny strokes cross hatches well he's one of the guys we hired to help us paint so we get these guys up on these 40-foot ladders on these giant buildings and i thought well gary's an artist he maybe he'll be our best painter <laughs> So we put him on a building, I don't have a picture of the building, but it was was like this times 20, 20 of those. And so we put him on a ladder and it wasn't just like that. We put him on this tiny little window up at the top, way up at the top. We thought, yeah, Gary's great with detail. We'll send him up there. So we went and we were bidding other jobs. We weren't there the whole day, the first day they started working. And when we came back, Gary was still right up there, painting this window with a little tiny brush. It was like he was cross-hatching it. And we're like, what? Oh, we're in big trouble here because we should have finished this building by now. <laughs> that was our plan, and we've barely finished one window. Now we had other guys doing other windows, scraping and preparing and all that kind of stuff. but..." That's when I began to understand this phrase, Uh, missing the big picture. Do you know what that means, missing the big picture? Sometimes we get so focused in on something small that we can't see the big picture. And we had all these guys focused on these little tiny things on this gigantic building. He shouldn't have been using a tiny little paintbrush. He should have been using an industrial sprayer. And I go, "Uh uh-oh we're missing the big picture here. Gary didn't see that big picture because he was too lost in the details. Have you ever had that in your life? Where you've gotten too focused on the details? Maybe you're studying for a test and you spend so much time on one question that you end up not having enough time to answer the rest of the questions. You forgot that the test has 100 questions and you spent all your time on one. That's missing the big picture. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, because in one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, Jesus tells one of his wildest parables, wild story. It's in Matthew chapter 18. Okay, so I'm going to read this. If you have a Bible, you might want to read along, or you can read it up on the screen here. It's kind of a longer story, so hang with me. Here's what it says. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Then Jesus tells the story, verse 23. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began that settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Well, since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife, and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me, he begged, I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, same words by the way, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. So the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. End of story. Can you imagine what people thought after Jesus told this story? What? Had him thrown in prison and tortured? And then Jesus delivers the punchline. Look at it, verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, it's interesting to note, these are some of the harshest words that Jesus ever speaks in the Bible. Because God has that attitude towards people who don't get the big picture. They're so focused on the hundred silver coins somebody owes them that they can't realize that they've been forgiven a massive, massive debt. This passage about not getting lost in the petty details of forgiving other people the small debts they owe us in light of the massive cancellation of debt God has given us in our life. Now, I want you to catch something here. The original Greek... In this text, it uses different words for the amount owed. The first one is usually referred to as 10,000 talents. Now, it's very difficult to take biblical money and translate into how much that would be today. But a talent in general was seen as one full day's work. That's what people were usually paid in Jesus' time, a talent for a day's work. So this guy owed the king... 10,000 days of work. If he worked 300 days a year for 50 years, he'd only pay off 15,000. The the best translations that I have seen, I don't know, but I think Jesus was trying to make a point here. He was trying to exaggerate the massive debt of this guy. It was probably, in in American dollar terms, about 3.5% billion dollars. And good, I don't know, that'd be 380 billion good. (laughs) It's like, the point of this story is Jesus is saying, there's no way this guy could ever pay back the debt. If he worked every day his entire life and gave every single penny to the master, he wouldn't have even gotten in the ballpark of repaying his debt. Well, he asked for the king. And by the way, this is what many people do with God. They go, God, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to do a bunch of good stuff. But Jesus is here telling us, no, no, no. The debt you owe is so massive that 50 lifetimes you couldn't pay it back. And so the king cancels the entire debt. Can you imagine if you owed that much money to somebody And he said, please give me a little more time to pay you back. And they laughed and said, right. I'm just going to forgive the whole thing. All gone. Don't worry about it. Well, the story, according to Jesus, the same guy that just gets forgiven the uh, 60 million working days, instead of throwing a massive party, which is the thing that makes sense, doesn't it? If somebody forgave you that much money, what would you do? I'd throw the most incredible party and be like all this weight off my shoulders. Everything has changed. I'd be so happy that I, I would be overwhelmed. But this guy doesn't do that. Instead, he literally walks out of the king's hall and sees a guy who owes him, here's the original uh, Hebrew, 100 denarii. goes all the way back to Old Testament times. Again, it's very difficult to translate how much would that be today. But it would probably be less than $200. Okay, so this guy got, just got forgiven $3.5 billion debt, and he starts choking a guy who owes him a couple hundred dollars. Well, when Jesus is telling this story, he's, he says that the king's servants followed this guy outside. They're like, that's, that's so amazing that the king just forgave that massive debt. So they watch the guy, and they see him choking this guy for a couple hundred dollars and then throwing the guy in prison, debtor's prison, until he pays him back the couple hundred bucks. The servants are like... Did we just see that happen? Oh, he just got for, forgiven a debt of three and a half billion dollars, but he just threw a guy in jail for a hundred dollar bet he made in the local bar? So they went and told the king about it. <laughs> it's an amazing story. Um, in English, we use the word boggle, confuse. This boggles God's mind. The king is like, what? The guy I just forgave three and a half billion dollars just threw a guy in jail for a hundred bucks? What? I can't believe that. Well, all this comes because Peter asked a question. Do you remember the question? Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me? And Peter, who uh, in, in, in English, we, in America, we'd call that, he's a kiss-up, a uh, felicitasium. <laughs> he's always telling the boss, oh, you're wonderful, you're great. So Peter thinks he's going to kiss up to Jesus here, and he says to him, I know the rabbis say that we should only forgive three times. We have many accounts of rabbis teaching this in Jesus' day. We still have those documents where they would teach that it is your responsibility to forgive somebody one time, two times, three times. But if they keep doing the same thing, you're done. Walk away. Don't forgive them. So Peter thinks he's saying something that Jesus is going to say, oh, Peter, you're such a nice person. Peter says, I I think we should do seven times. What do you think, Jesus? And then in one of the biggest shocks the disciples ever got, Jesus doesn't go, Peter, what a nice thing to say. Instead, he says, no, Peter, you're wrong. Seventy times seven times seven times seven. In the original language, it's what we call an idiom. It's a phrase that people use all the time, and it means something else, this 70 times 7. If we just took it literally, 70 times 7, if you got your math right, is 490. (laughs) So even if that's all Jesus is saying, do you know how many minutes it would take you in a day to forgive someone 490 times? That means you'd be forgiving them every three minutes, 24 hours, every three minutes. You did it again, yes, I forgive you. Three minutes later, you did it again, yes, I forgive you. But Jesus is actually even saying more than that. The 70 times 7, basically, you can see on the bottom there, he's trying to say, you keep forgiving until you lose count. 70 times 7 times 7 times 7 times 7 was a way A teacher would say, forever, or infinity times. That's what the phrase meant. Keep forgiving until you lose count. And that's why Jesus tells this story. He realizes the disciples are confused, wait, what? The rabbis say only three times, I'm saying seven, and you're telling me keep forgiving All day? Forever? What? In light of that, Jesus tells this story. Again, amazing story, isn't it? (laughs) Guy owes a billion bucks, and he can't pay it, so the king forgives it. Then he goes outside, and he finds a guy who owes him a couple hundred bucks and chokes him and has him thrown in jail. Now, here's the punchline in the story. When Jesus tells this story, look what he says. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Whoa. Do we take the words of Jesus seriously here? Is he really saying that if you can't figure out how to forgive other people their 100 $200 debt, that it boggles God's mind, that he's amazed that you can't figure out how to forgive somebody else, given the fact that you've been released of a billion-dollar debt. I read um, a couple of years ago, I read a, a, a journal article in America that said that more than half of the hospital beds in America are occupied by somebody who has no physical issues. In other words, it's psychological, mental. Half, I I don't know what it is in Haiti. I'm guessing that this is human beings. Because what Jesus is trying to get across here is like, if you don't get this forgiveness thing right, if you don't learn to forgive your brother or sister from your heart, you will be, what does the text say? tormented until you pay back every last penny. What? I would suggest to you this morning that if you are unforgiving in your life, it will torment you. There's an amazing price tag to unforgiveness. I believe Jesus is saying it's the heart of many problems that human beings have. Instead of rejoicing and partying in God's forgiveness— They spend their days choking other people to say, you need to pay me back. You hurt me. You owe me. Pay me back. A person with an unforgiving spirit is forever, forever, trying to collect debts from the people who have wronged them. And here's the important part, folks. Very seldom will they ever pay back very, very seldom will they ever pay back, and yet people keep doing it. So somebody grows up with a domineering mother or an alcoholic father or a spouse who was not loyal and faithful to them or a friend who abandoned them and rejected them or an uncle who molested them as a child or a boss who belittled them and made them feel bad about themselves or even a God who took my eight-year-old before I think he should have. We all have these things that we carry, these burdens of people have hurt and wronged us. And we have a choice to make. And Jesus is saying, if you make the wrong choice, you're going to end up tormented. Every human being has suffered extensive emotional pain at the hands of others. If I went through and I got the story of every person seated here this morning, every one of you would tell a story. We'd go, what? Somebody did that to you? I have never met anyone, ever, who says, nope, nothing's ever happened to me. (laughs) Everybody has a story of how others have wounded them, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But they can seldom get paid. A boy who grows up with an unloving father who never shows him attention, who never tells him he loves him, who never fathers him. That boy has two choices in life, and so do we. The first choice is is he can spend the rest of his life trying to make his father pay for it. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've counseled somebody who had an abusive parent that came in and told me about it, and they said, yeah, I confronted them with it, and they didn't say anything. I'm like, yeah, you're seldom going to get paid for those debts. Usually they're going to tell you, well, here's why you deserved what you got. Here's why I did that. Same for you and I. We can continue trying to find all the people in our life who've wounded us and demand that they pay us back. But we will end up tormented. Tormented. Or we can learn the second choice, we can learn how to forgive. In light of God's forgiveness, we can learn how to forgive other people. I don't know what your stuff is this morning. Many of you had parents who wounded you deeply, maybe just by their absence. You're never going to get paid back by them. So you better learn to forgive them in light of the billion-dollar debt God has torn up for you. Again, look at it. Jesus tells us in the story, somebody that doesn't learn this forgiveness thing gets handed over to the jailers to be tortured. What? I would suggest to you that the torture comes... Yourself. It's not even that God tortures you, but your attempt to try and get all the debts paid back to you. This is why Jesus, when, when the disciples say, teach us how to pray, what's one of the things he teaches them? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In light of your tearing up this massive pile of debts we have, I'm gonna tear up the debts I got with everybody else in my life. By the way, I often talk about this passage when I do a wedding, because this is the hardest thing about marriage. Marriage is filled with all kinds of little debts against one another. We say things, we do things, we don't even mean them sometimes. Sometimes we do mean them. But most of the time, when I talk to a couple who's struggling in their marriage and I hear what, what has happened, the stuff they tell me, I go, That's not that big a deal. You're telling me that you believe God has torn up your billion-dollar debt, but you're going to choke your spouse for $5? What? That's crazy. It makes no sense at all. And yet, so many of us live our lives in a swamp of unforgiveness, turned over to the tormentors, dealing with the damaged emotions that come from unforgiveness. I think of a high school girl who once came into my office and she started sharing with me how her cold, strict, super strict, distant father never showed her any love. And so, as a young woman, she became promiscuous. She started sleeping with many men as a way to get back at him. You think it bothered him? I remember talking to that man and telling her, okay, you understand that her promiscuity, and he said, hey, that's her problem. (laughs) She was not, oh, I'm so satisfied he finally paid back the debt. He didn't even own the debt. He said, no, that's your problem. I didn't do that. You did that. Well, the price tag became severe for her. her promiscuity. Put her in a position where as a very young girl, she got pregnant and ended up having an abortion and spent the rest of her life going, being tormented by her unforgiveness. Because she just couldn't let go. She kept trying to choke it out of her father, but he was never going to pay. Do you know who the hostage in that story is? Not the dad. The girl who was wronged. She's the one that's held hostage her whole life. Unforgiveness has a massive price tag in our lives. I want to look at two. One, if you don't learn how to forgive the people who have wronged and hurt you, the first thing is it will undermine any chance of holiness in your life. It'll be very difficult to make much progress in your spiritual life if you're still holding on to debts for other people. Because what it says to God is, you don't get it, do you? You don't understand the massive debt I have forgiven you. Because if you did, you would not be choking other people to get paid back. The second price tag of unforgiveness is, I already talked about it, it injures the innocent. <laughs> you know, the, the person whose parents mistreated them, they're the ones who get wounded, not the parents. Their unforgiveness keeps them continually experiencing torment in their lives. I think of a man who grew up in an alcoholic household, could never rely on anything, no security, he never knew whether mom or dad would be home, he had no idea what was going to go on, he couldn't count on his parents, so he, as an adult, when he got married, he told himself, I'm never going to be like my parents, they were horrible guess what his wife would say to me? He won't open up. He never shares anything with me. When I ask him, how are you doing, he's like, okay. Now who's the hostage? That man is the hostage. He's like, I'm messing up my own marriage because of the abuse I suffered at the hands of an alcoholic father. We all do it, don't we? If we, like this servant in Jesus' story, do not learn how to forgive, we will be opening our lives up to the incredibly high price tag of unforgiveness. Jesus even goes so far as saying you'll be handed over to your tormentors. (laughs) By the way, the Catholic Church often taught uh, this concept of purgatory. Have you heard of this concept? It's not really taught in the Bible but they get it from this passage. They say, oh yeah, some of us, even though we've been forgiven by God, we'll have to spend 10,000 years in purgatory paying back our debt. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, no, no, you could never ever pay back the debt. I don't care if you have a billion years you want to pay it back. God's mind is boggled by the incongruity of people who owe him a billion dollars and throttle their neighbor for a couple hundred dollars. Um, When I was in college, I had a roommate. I I loved my roommate. He's a great guy. His name was Bill. And Bill, um, he came from a poorer family, and so they couldn't really help him much. And I had this old, beat-up car. I guess you could call it a car. It ran. It It would get places, but he would always borrow my car. Hey, I'm, I'm, I've got a test. Can I borrow your car? Hey, I'm going out to dinner with some people. Can I borrow your car? And it was like, yeah, if it runs, yes, you can borrow my car. For three years, he borrowed my car two, three, four times a week, every week. And he always did a good job. He'd always put some gas back in it. I mean, he, he was courteous about it. But he had saved up in three years… He'd saved up enough money that he bought his own car, his senior year. I'll never forget it. I had a day when I had an exam I forgot about. I overslept. And I had like two minutes to get over to the building where I needed to take this test or I was going to be in big trouble in this class. My car was in the shop, it wasn't working. So I went to my roommate, Bill, thinking I've loaned you my car maybe 200 times. Of course. I go, Bill, I have an emergency. Can I borrow your car? He looked me straight in the eyes, and here's what he said. It is my policy not to loan my car out. It's like, what? That's my policy. I'm sorry. I can't let you use the car. I go, oh, you've got to use it for something? No. It's just my policy. I don't loan my car out. Folks, this is how God feels when we choose unforgiveness. He's like, are you serious? You're going to stay angry and anxious and frustrated over somebody who hurt you 10 years ago? Did you not understand I just forgave your entire debt. Gone. Wiped out. So how do we live in this? I want you to look at a particular verse here. Uh, I already just talked about that. God's mind is boggled when he's forgiven us a billion and we choke somebody. But here's the verse. In this passage, it said, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. Okay, here's where this often hits us. I'm asking you the question, if you call yourself a Christian today, do you think God just gave you an extension to pay him back, or do you think he canceled your debt? Many, many Christians are still thinking they need to pay God back. Oh, I need to go to church more. Oh, I need to read my Bible more. Oh, I need to give more. I need to do something to pay God back if you're there, you're like this guy. You actually think you might be able to do enough good stuff to pay back God for the sin in your life. And he's saying, no, no, you can't pay it back. I forgive the whole thing. I've removed it. I've placed it on Jesus on the cross. All your debts were placed on him and forgiven. I tore up those bills you owed me. Do you understand the offer of the gospel? It's not an offer to say, I'll give you an extension. God is not saying, I'll give you a little more time to get your life together and be a good person. (laughs) No. He's saying, no, you don't have a chance. (laughs) You're not even going to get close. So I'm just going to forgive you completely. This is the gospel. Remember I started out talking about... The big picture, sometimes we miss it because we're so focused on on the little one. Are you so focused in, in your life on the people who have wronged you that you've forgotten the big picture of God's incredible grace which tore up your entire debt? You'd have to go back and repay him. You'd have to do a bunch of stuff that will go, okay, I guess I'll let you into my kingdom. It's like, no you're free. 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 I want to close with a story I read. This story really got to me because it it talks about missing the big picture. The writer says, once there was a boy who lived with his mother and his grandfather. His grandfather was not really an elderly man, but he was confined to a wheelchair and he had almost no use of his arms. His face had been badly scarred, and he had a very difficult time swallowing his food. Every day, the little boy was assigned the task of going into his grandfather's room and feeding him lunch with a little spoon. This the little boy did faithfully, but he didn't do it joyously. It was quite a mess to feed Grandpa. As the boy grew into adolescence, he became weary of this responsibility. One day, he stormed in the kitchen, and he announced to his mom, I've had enough. I'm not doing this anymore. Very patiently, she sat him down, stopped her chores, and said this to him, Son, you are a young man now. It's time you knew the whole truth about your grandfather. Grandfather has not always been confined to a wheelchair. In fact, he used to be a great athlete. But when you were a baby there was an accident. The boy was a bit confused. He leaned forward to hear better. His mother began crying. She said, "Son, there was a fire." Your father was working in the basement, and he thought you were upstairs with me. I thought he was downstairs with you. We both rushed out of the house, leaving you alone upstairs. Your grandfather was visiting us at the time. He realized what had happened. You'd been left in the house. Without a word, he went back into the house, found you time to wet a blanket and wrap it around you and dash through the flames. He brought you completely safe to your father and me, but we had to rush him to the emergency room. He suffered from second and third degree burns and struggled with severe smoke inhalation. That's why he's the way he is today, because of what he suffered that day, he saved your life. By this time, the boy had tears flowing down his face. He never knew. Grandfather never told him. He didn't say a word, but his attitude changed. He picked up his grandfather's lunch tray, took it back into the room, and fed him, because he now understood the big picture. It's easy to lose sight of it, isn't it? It's easy to forget the debt that God has released us from and get caught up in that person who's hurt us or wronged us or that situation that wounded us. God is telling us clearly we need to get the big picture. We need to see the enormity of his grace, the massive debt that he has forgiven you, because only then can you pick up the tray and go feed your neighbor correctly. Only if you get the big picture first. This morning, I don't know what you're struggling with, but I'm going to bet that everybody here, when we take a moment of silence, is going to have somebody you think of, man, that person really hurt me. A person really wounded me. Now, my own experience is forgiveness, even though oftentimes it requires a one-time thing, it also requires that we affirm it over and over and over again. When I look at my prayer journal about people I need to forgive, it's the same people I was writing 10 years ago, 20 years ago, often. That's Okay. The beginning is understanding in light of God's forgiveness, I must let go of the debts that others have against me. Anything else is insane. It misses the big picture. So in a second, I'm going to have us pray silently, and I want you to ask, God, is there somebody in my life that I'm still trying to choke payment out of? And if you know this story that Jesus told is true, this morning, I want you, as we pray, I want you to think of that person. If God brings someone to your mind, and I just want you to see, see it like a picture. Can you imagine if in this story, the man who'd been forgiven the billion-dollar debt saw his friend who was probably scared to death to see him because <laughs> he knew he owed him money. Can you imagine if that guy had gone out and said, don't worry about it? I forgive you that's what I want you to do as you think about this person so let's take a couple of minutes here in silence and just ask God is there somebody that I'm still choking that I'm still trying to get my debt repaid for let's
0: pray we hope this message was helpful for you if you're in Haiti, join us on Sunday mornings where English speakers from all backgrounds, missionaries, diplomats, Haitians, expats, come together to worship, to connect, and to have fellowship with one another. You can find more information about our location, our service times, and our Sunday school program for all ages at our website at kiskeachapel.org. Or shoot us an email at chapelq@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's chapelq at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.
1: there. You know, some of you maybe have been in church for a long time, but you think God is looking for you to pay him back. He's just giving you an extension. This morning, the gospel is this. No, he's not giving you an extension. He's ripping up the entire debt. If you don't know this, I would encourage you, ask somebody around. Come ask me, ask Luke, ask anybody here. Uh, What does it mean to allow jesus to take on my debt and tear it up Uh, we just sang a song can you put that last slide up etienne can you put the last song slide up we sang about a a word that maybe you don't know Uh, it's a word used a lot in the bible the year of jubilee is coming do you know what the year of jubilee was every seventh year in israel they were supposed to forgive all debts, no matter how much anybody owed you, free all their servants, and let the land be free. They didn't even plant for a year. This is the gospel that God is saying, I'm not extending your debt, I'm ripping it up. Go in the name of Jesus, in the joy of that, and celebrate. Don't joke, people. Go celebrate what God has done for you. In Jesus' name, go, amen. Amen.